0: Hello, and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host, Bentley Kaplan, stepping in for Mike, who is, legally speaking, on vacation, but I've got a sneaking suspicion he's got his laptop out and is busy banging out some scripts for future editions, so don't worry, he'll be back next week. Now for our main piece today, Anna Klug and Jingmin He and SK Kim join me to look at how the pressure cooker of this new pandemic is bearing radically different fruits for food companies and airlines. And how their ESG risk management could help tell the winners from the losers when the dust finally settles. And then we'll finish with a couple of very hot takes. Siu Liu will break down how the coronavirus could act as a magnifying glass for reputational risks or even potential opportunities. And Rick Marshall hits us with the sizzling takeaways from Bill Gates' decision to step down from the boards of Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway to focus his energy on full-time philanthropy. Thanks for sticking around, let's dive in. Now before our toes hit the water, let's start with some background. In case you've been living under a rock or in a Big Brother house in Germany, you are probably seeing the havoc of the coronavirus playing out in real time. All the way from exhausted and distraught health workers to plunging oil prices to unsightly scraps over shopping carts filled with toilet paper, it's mostly not been pretty. And if you're anything like me, you're obsessively checking global numbers of infections ticking up. And in such a dynamic, unpredictable environment, it's obviously difficult to know how things will ultimately pan out. So for our main story, I wanted to get into business models that are closer to the front lines basically seeing how they manage their ESG risks and how that can hold lessons not only for investors but for other industries as well. So first up, I'm joined by Arna Klug, our airlines industry lead analyst, coming fresh out of Frankfurt. As you probably already know, airlines are feeling some serious heat, as more than 80 countries have imposed travel restrictions in an effort to try and slow the transmission of the coronavirus. Flight cancellations are staggering. Finnair, for example, announced it would be cutting capacity by up to 90%. Air france KLM by more than 70%, and even US carriers like United, American Airlines and Delta, all halving their capacity. Now, the International Air Transport Association, or IATA as it's known in the biz, has forecast a loss of up to $113 billion for the whole industry as a result of the coronavirus, which is a big number. But in the heady world of finance, a number like that is probably not unprecedented. Now, is busy working on a piece of analysis which I'm sure will be ready for consumption pretty soon. And for now, probably just for MSCI clients, but that's why I wanted to bug him. I wanted to get some of the basics for our wider audience. So it, maybe firstly, can you help us understand what it is about airlines and their business model that's making these flight cancellations like such a, a huge deal?
1: Yeah, I sure, I mean, Airline companies as service providers really depend on actually um, making revenue. It's not like a manufacturing company that can actually maybe uh, build a car and then put it on on hold and and then start selling it again. So it's like a company really depending on passenger growth, accumulated high debts to finance, quite ambitious growth plans. And so um, what we see now it's a really competitive industry with often also relatively low profit margins and there are many players so actually there's a risk of going bankrupt in these times to give you a number a grounded aircraft could cost airlines up to 150,000 us dollars per hour that's a number you have to keep in mind it's really expensive now and um okay
0: okay so uh, i mean that makes sense because airlines have banked pretty heavily on having this high capacity and then the, the growth to back it up and the coronavirus has basically just flipped that whole thing upside down so then another thing that i was thinking about was airlines are these specialized businesses i mean you can't just take an airline and make it into something else like an airplane is an airplane um so in a a place where companies don't really have anywhere to go what are they doing to survive like what are airlines doing to try and combat this you know massive spike in cancellations
1: yeah it's really hard for them i mean they're cancelling flights or routes but what airlines are doing now is simply um, to, to have costs by laying off people or putting employees on un- unpaid leave. And this is something what Chinese airlines, for instance, did. They actually put some foreign pilots on unpaid leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a quite um, drastic step. Chinese air travel has been booming in recent years, and that's why actually Chinese airlines often attracted non-domestic pilots to fill the gaps these foreign pilots actually normally received higher wages than domestic staff so it's now a quite obvious cost-cutting measure to put um, foreign pilots on unpaid leave but um, this could be i mean risky in the long term and the question is will foreign pilots return to the employees after the crisis
0: yeah so i mean there's a bunch of different examples of companies airlines in particular that are having to lay off workers to try and stop Losses during this very difficult time. So you've got like Scandinavia's SAS is laying off 10,000 workers, which is 90% of its workforce because it's cancelling most of its flights. And then you're getting even the sort of the very big names like KLM um, cutting around 2,000 jobs, um, you know, in the in the next in the next few months. And that and that kind of makes sense because you've got you know marginal businesses and this this big drop in revenue. Um, and you've got to do something to stay open, never mind just being competitive. But Anna, like you've, you've done all this work on airlines before, and I'm sure you know, like better than most of us, what the industry is like. And I mean, even I know that from my limited experience of flying, that you know, no two airlines are the same. So then from like an ESG perspective, is there a way we can tease apart the industry to try and see you know, which companies could come out the other side in, in better shape, you know, if or when the coronavirus uh, sort of slows down and, and travel resumes again?
1: Sure. I mean, what is quite natural that investors now look at the credit profiles of airlines right? But it also makes sense to, to look at ESG factors for sure. So if a company has good relations with employees, it might be better positioned to navigate through all the crisis, right? If it has good employee engagement channels, restructuring policies and programs, has the company been involved in many labor disputes? How is like the, general, the relationship between employees and airlines? And especially also after Corona, the industry um, might grow again or will grow again could actually jeopardize the company's position to attract pilots and talent in, in the future.
0: Okay, so, so there you have it. Even though all airline companies are cutting jobs in the thousands, before the coronavirus hit, some of them were, were better at making those employees more engaged or better rewarded. And those companies may also be better at drawing back those employees when demand does tick up again. So for airlines with nowhere to go business-wise, the pandemic is basically a pressure cooker. It's a lot about outlasting the pain better than your competitors. But food retailers and restaurants have had more wiggle room, with the ability to adapt and embrace new delivery models. I'm joined now by Jingmin He and SK Kim out of Shanghai. And they've seen firsthand how rapidly a situation can change and how adaptable and resilient people can be. But they've also seen how the businesses that these resilient people operate have been able to adapt. Because for the dozens of countries that have started to put in restrictions on people's movements, one thing happens immediately. People start spending less and less time out of their homes. And if your business relies on the pitter-patter of customer footsteps, then you've got a problem. So Jingmin, I'll start with you. You cover a bunch of very different industries, and we've seen globally some cases of panic buying in some countries as people stockpile a few different things from guns to toilet paper. But as footfall into shops starts to tail off, um, or even stop all, you know, altogether, how well prepared are companies to adapt? And then maybe are there any cases that you would highlight as an example of that adaptation?
2: There are some retail companies, they have been thinking outside the box to tackle situations like this. So Alibaba has a um, grocery retail arm. It's actually experiencing surge in demand because people cannot go out and dine, so they have to order food. This Alibaba backed herma has experienced a shortage in its staff because of this surge in demand. But then Alibaba has a, a solution, which is called the employee sharing scheme. So Alibaba actually takes the employees from uh, other companies like those restaurants which have been shut down for a long time. Alibaba has been really managing its reputation by collaborating with at least 32 companies which Alibaba have been helping to survive actually during this crisis.
0: And then SK, from your perspective, you know, working with hotels and restaurants, two industries that are are really under pressure at the moment, um, you know, have there been particularly notable responses by some that have maybe stood out in terms of how companies have adapted, and I know you know China at the moment is uh, is still very much dealing with you know the effects of the coronavirus. But with a more sort of forward-looking view, it seems like it's going most places in the world. So, are there any any regions in particular where you think um, a company may be pretty well positioned to to adapt to this massive change that's about to happen? Uh,
2: one of the things that I found interesting um, as you asked me about the uh, for looking i would picture chipotle it is not entirely a takeaway company i would say uh, it's more of a dine-in type of restaurant interestingly um they uh, the company has been promoting and strategizing themselves as a place that delivers as of last year the sales from online order has been over one billion dollars which is 90 percent um, increase as of last year and they're they also um, trying to ensure the customers that um, the packaging that they prepare for delivery is temper-free. Because, you know, coronavirus is it's infected by the contact uh, mostly. So Chipotle is also giving a sense to the customers that the delivered food is free from any potential contacts along the delivery process.
0: Okay, so, so now those are some some great examples. But you guys know as well as I do that when you start fiddling with your business model, your ESG risk profile starts changing too. So then what happens to companies when they start bulking up their online order segments or delivery segments? Is there something investors should be maybe paying attention
2: to? Um, we have seen a lot of this shift happening in China, actually, um, with a lot of uh, restaurants now converting themselves to um, online delivery <laughs> restaurants, a greater proportion of their revenue now relies on data transactions, not only about customers' financial information, but also habits. These companies um, previously, they have no, or no such experience uh, in handling data, especially uh, in China uh, or even uh, in Europe as well. Um, the regulation has been strengthening.
0: Okay, now, so from, from airlines and food retail and restaurants we're going to pivot to our hot takes for the week. Now, one thing the coronavirus is doing is creating a condition where savvy operators are seeing an opportunity to support their customers, and that could boost their long-term loyalty. But those companies looking to batten down the hatches and protect their bottom lines might be remembered for the wrong reasons. So I wanted to get a hot take from Siu Liu, who covers telecoms. She's based in New York at the moment, and like many of my New York colleagues, is busy working from home. Now, see so you, you. You cover telecoms, which is a fascinating industry for many reasons. But I think I speak not only for myself when I say you know this is a good time to be learning firsthand the value of having good data connections as I you know bid farewell to my ergonomic desk space and, and venture into a slightly more colourful toddler-strewn home office. And it, and that for me feels like a really good or really dangerous opportunity for companies that are able to provide that connection um, in in a place in a market where it's quite difficult to to change providers. Or to you know change something structural you know are there any companies that you've seen uh, have been caught by surprise by this you know sudden demand for uh, for fast internet from the house
3: yeah the situation in Italy, according to the its largest telecom operator telecom Italia and they were saying that they've noticed a 30% surge of their net internet network traffic um, the first two weeks of March whether it's because of remote working um, or, or even remote learning because schools are closing and not saying that teenagers playing video games that takes good chunk of uh, traffic loads. Overall, the country, um, as of 2019, is only 4% uh, fiber penetration. Um, they're, they're, they're moving towards it, but then it's been really slow and given the other board issues that Telecom Italia had over the past couple of years, uh, now they're sort of just back to normal operating, and now they have this, um, I guess, a major test on their network reliability and their performances.
0: Yeah, and I suppose a big part of that is that your—it's difficult to switch providers, so you're kind of, you know, kind of stuck with whoever your provider is. Um, and and maybe at this point, it's just a case of trying to to manage manage reputation from the standpoint of being, you know, not the worst provider.
3: It seems like it's a good time. Well. Maybe not exactly a good time, but um, it's a, it can be opportunity for a telecom operator to maintain or win their trust from consumers. In the U.S., AT&T and Comcast has all voiced out their commitments to helping low income households to to either pay waive their bill for the for the for the time being or increase their data plan for the ones who needs them.
0: Now, for our second hot take, I thought we could do with a piece of news that wasn't directly related to the massive global pandemic that's happening at the moment, so I turned to Rick Marshall, one of the great bookends of the ESG Weekly podcast. Now, Rick, Bill Gates is stepping down from the boards of both Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway, And, and at first glance, that just seems like the natural order of things, right? I mean, he's had a long corporate career, so, you know, at some point, you just have to retire, so is is that the the reading of it or is there something more that I'm missing
4: Yeah it's definitely not something that you see every day um we're much more accustomed to seeing innovative leaders try to hold on as long as they possibly can Bill Gates is a unique case, though, in part because he's been part of this really from the beginning. I mean, pre, pre-Internet pre days, he he struggled a bit with that transition into the Internet age. Part of what has made him a great leader is that he is, he is human and he's made mistakes, but he's listened. And he's been one of the best, I think, um, tech leaders in terms of that ability to... Recognize when the time has come to step aside, and here he is uh, making that final transition at at a company that was one of the pioneers and is still one of the most important leaders in this space.
0: Now, Rick, I just want to come back to one thing that you mentioned there, and that, that was these CEO founders who end up staying at, at a company for too long. So, you know, it's it seems like the presence of these charismatic founders in the media is is becoming sort of bigger and louder. Uh, with some very sort of iconic figures saying some very controversial things. Um, and there's a perception out there maybe that Bill Gates and uh, and, and Warren Buffett, the two of them have been have written about together in the context of, of Gates stepping down. They both come across as maybe a bit more measured or not quite in, in the news for the same reasons as a lot of other founders. Um, you know, is that kind of perception defensible uh, or, you know, or I suppose, what is it about you know, these two guys that might make them different from CEOs that, that are making headlines for some of the wrong reasons?
4: Just the fact that you're, you're talking about these two, two people as, as being less flamboyant, as being quieter, more reserved, uh, it almost makes me laugh, frankly, because I've been watching them for, for a long, long time. And neither one of these guys is a wallflower. They've both been very outspoken, but they've also been committed to the world in a, in a broader way. You know, it's not just been me first, me first, me first.
0: And I think we have we have no choice but to pivot back to the coronavirus again. Um, you know, but for me, seeing someone like Bill Gates, who's had this long corporate career, a successful one, um, you know, stepping down to get you know into philanthropy full time, feels a little bit I don't know reassuring um, in a way. So, so is this something you th- you think we might be seeing you know more of moving forward uh, in the context of, of for example stakeholder capitalism, or is Bill Gates just a complete outlier in that regard?
4: and what we, we call the non-profit space, the philanthropic space, was considered the place of maturity for an individual who had been successful in their lives in terms of enterprise. We haven't really seen that in my lifetime, though. That that spirit has long since vanished. And so to, to see it reemerging this way is is really kind of exciting. I think what makes Bill Gates especially interesting is that he defines what it is to be a leader in a different way. It's not just about getting out in front and never looking back and assuming that everybody's going to follow. He listens and he is sensitive to the context within which he's operating. And right now, um, the world desperately needs leaders who are not looking to make a higher level of profit margins, but actually to make a difference in the world and to take the uh, the gains that they've achieved and turn those into something of value to the larger world.
0: Mm, and there's some classic Rick, straight talking with just a sprinkle of optimism. And I think that goes for for most of the analysts we spoke to today. It seems like although the coronavirus is is presenting unprecedented challenges it's also giving opportunities to people and companies that can spot them and that's it for this week a huge thanks to Anna and Jingmin and sk and cu and rick for their take on the news with an esg twist it's been a hectic week for everyone with most of my colleagues working from home so i truly appreciate how uh, what precious time they could spare and that includes yours so thanks very much for tuning in don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this all and any feedback is just great for us it helps us get better and helps get you what you really want to hear and uh, don't forget to hit that old subscribe button stay safe wash your hands and let's flatten this curve together